Most people here were here for the Beginner's Mind Retreat, which we are about to finish. Thanks for sticking around. We always encourage people to stay through lunch, and there's important community aspects to that, so thanks for doing that. To come to retreat and then disappear, especially if you don't really know the community before lunch, leaves out a pretty important aspect of it, so thanks for sticking around. Um, for those of you who do not know Kisei and I, we've been in residency, Kisei and me, we've been in residency here since 2010. Um, my first Beginner's Mind Retreat would have been 2008, because I believe there was one in August when I did that. And we... Uh, co-facilitated this Beginner's Mind Retreat that we just had and now are going to talk to you some about, around, and hopefully from acceptance. So Tana and I came into residency three weeks apart from each other in 2010 and so we grew up together got ordained on the same day. And this is the first time we're giving a talk together. And so tends There was one time we gave a talk together while when we were postulants. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> this is the second time we're giving a talk together. <laughs> her, her first time is my second time. <laughs> And so Ten's leaving um, in August, so it might be our last time, too. We didn't do it together, though. When we, for the uh, five-year yeah. ordination? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as Sutton said, uh, we're ending a beginner's mind retreat. And a number of people who came to this retreat, this was their first experience doing retreat practice. And for some people, many people their first time really meditating for longer than five minutes which is so brave <laughs> i'm inspired by that courage and um and the stillness that was in the zendo and the determination and sincerity uh, during this this weekend often at the end of a, a retreat the question in people's hearts is well how do i continue how do i keep the insights that I touched during retreat alive in my daily life when the environment is very different than at the monastery. We can all recognize that this is a rarefied environment um, where we have a culture of supporting each other in silence. And we had a full basket of cell phones. So supporting each other and disconnecting from media. <clears throat> I'd like to share a part of a poem from one of the women ancestors who actually was ordained by the Buddha. There's a new book that came out um, that's a translation of the poems by the women ancestors who were alive at the time of the Buddha. And I feel like it's part of my work in this world to share women Dharma practitioner voices because our voices have been silenced for 
thousands of years and now are being translated and we're finding more and more about the, the women practitioners and their awakening stories and the stories of their lives. So this, um, the book is called The First Free Women and I recommend it highly. And this is from uh, one of the woman ancestors named Tisa. And she says, find your true home on the path. Find the path right here. Find the path right here in the center of your own heart. It's empowering. The path is right here. Do you believe that? Yeah. And if it's right here in the center of your own heart, it is your life. It includes all your relationships. It includes this body. It includes everything that comes forward in our experience, our thoughts, our emotions, <coughs> difficulties, challenge, work, speech. You have a monastery in your heart that will always be with you. And the heart is a direct route into the silence that we crave, that we know is true, that's right below uh, thought, and that can hold and contain anything that comes forward. Soten led us on this um, beautiful inquiry into the heart. And it started with in the invitation to put our hands on the heart center. So I'd like to invite everyone to do that now. Feel the rise and fall of the chest. If that's true for you, perhaps feel the heart beat. Really feel the hands touching the heart. And notice, notice what else is there. Tenderness, softening, perhaps grief, angst. Notice with this simple act of touching the heart, does the heart change? Does your experience of the heart change? How? Does your body respond? In what way? Does your mind respond? 
Does your emotional body respond? So Ten asked us to inquire, do you feel safe right now? Notice, do you feel safe right now? And then empowered us to see if there's anything we can do right now in order to establish a sense of safety. traditional phrases of metta or loving kindness is, may I feel safe and protected. May I be safe and protected. I want to invite you further into this exploration of the heart and the heart center. Feel into the heart center, the space around the organ of the heart. Sometimes I think of it as just the space of the heart. Might be helpful to close your eyes. And explore this space in the center of the chest. Does it have edges? Does it have depth? Can you find an end to it? In the midst of this space, is there a center? Is there a location at all? What can this space contain? The space of the heart allows emotions to flow through and change. Allows all, the whole range of human experience. Fear, grief, love, joy, sadness, anger, hatred. allows them to express and evolve and change and move through. And the space itself is unaffected. The center of the heart 
the center of awareness. And touching into this space. And then I invite you to open your eyes and let the space still be there, holding you, holding this body as you come back into connection with others in this room. This practice, the one that we just did, and the practice we've been doing all week, is practice of recognizing and learning to trust awareness. This is a radical acceptance. It entertains that maybe everything is workable. And it puts us in touch with what is always okay. Someone was talking about equanimity and loving kindness. And equanimity is knowing that everything is okay. It's a facet of the heart. I'm going to share another poem by one of the women ancestors. This is Mita, and the poem is called Friend. Full of trust, you left home and soon learned to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. Listen, and when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end, and I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home. This practice is about befriending ourselves, our direct experience. And I found that having an anchor practice is like having a good friend, like making friends with the breath or the bottoms of the feet. And it's something that I can always return to. It's reliable. And then the practice of whatever arises, can I have a friendly attitude towards it? Can I accept it? Can I welcome it? And learning, in that learning, moment by moment, a willingness to befriend our experience and all that we contain the parts that we normally want to silence or push out, welcoming, befriending. Where can fear lodge itself if we're friends with our fear?
While Kisei was leading the guided meditation just now, I became, I'm often aware of my heartbeat, but very aware of just the whole globular thing in there doing what it does. The whole meat object pulsating. Very, very intimate thing. And it just keeps doing that and has been from before I was born. I'm interested in and how she was talking about fear. Um, Chosen talked about fear at our at our closing circle and and I brought it up too and the importance and necessity of of facing fear, of turning towards fear, and what can happen when we square off and do that. Kisei just talked about befriending fear, and if we can't befriend fear, then what is it really? One question is to is to clear up you know, different things we mean when we use that word and fear of outcome is something I'm afraid if I do this such and such will happen and then there's the intensity of of um, present fear that we experience in the moment which when divorced from fear of outcome in itself can be a very pleasurable and satisfying thing. I mean, that's part of what um, adrenaline is. That's part of what intimacy is. It's part of what connection is. Um, boundaries falling away, and there can be a quality of fear there that's quite satisfying and is good, maybe. Um, but fear of Outcome is is different, and when there's a fear of outcome, it's harder to feel um, basically safe. Um, one of my questions is, as we look at acceptance and talk about acceptance, to what extent is feeling basically safe? really a requisite in order to do that. It's been some time, but Chosen Roshi used to quite frequently do guided meditations on the Buddha's four foundations of mindfulness and the Zendo in the morning and would bring in um, working with the state of the heart before really getting into um, the mind or, or concentration. Addressing that level, addressing the emotional body, the emotional self, that has to be on board in order to continue.
one um, pastime between my father and I, um, we used to get together and play racquetball. And it was something that I didn't start doing until uh, the end of my teenage years. And I was fairly athletic as a young person. And um, he was too, but he grew up playing tennis and that was never one of my sports. So he would slaughter me time after time because he had excellent control and ball placement and I could run circles around him, but he could make me continue running circles <laughs> around him. But as we continued to play year after year, and as he got older and I started developing a little bit of technique in the sport and I continued to get stronger and faster, um, it stopped making sense that, that he was still beating me. <laughs> and I think both of us understood that. It was clear that, that there was a psychological obstacle, actually. And if you've done a lot of sports or performance, or you know how that can really go all the way down. Because I should have been beating him. Um, one week, and I would come, I would come really, really close. Racquetball goes till four, 14 or 15. Anyone? Yeah. Then um, you have to win by two. And, and many, many times we would be drawn, right? 14 to 14, and then he would get the next two points. One week I'd put a lot of ritual into beating him <laughs> for our game, which was to happen at the end of the week. And um, the morning of, I remember having um, an insight that, plainly put, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. And that stayed with me service after service. I had no idea what was going to happen. And that game, I, I clobbered him. It was like 15 to 2. You know, it was terrible. And, and he never beat me again. There was a concrete shift that happened in that moment where I had somehow not really been able to play based on how certain I was how it was going to go. But then when I realized and was able to stay with the fact that I had absolutely no idea how it was going to go at any point in time, I was really there and, and showed up and, and came through. And, and that was the end of that rivalry. <laughs> in talking about acceptance, if we just talk about that word over and over again, by the end of the talk, you know, someone brings up the question like, are you telling me I have to accept the political situation? So we have to talk about acceptancy and agency as, as, um, as one thing. And the image that comes to mind when I, when I think of that, I think of um, 
I think of the, the beauty and the grace of contact juggling, you know. Um, I shouldn't assume everyone's familiar with, with that, but contact juggling is, um, I, I was first introduced to it in David Bowie's Labyrinth, by the chuckles, maybe other people were too. You have a, a, a weighted object and move it around your body and maybe up in the air and you're catching it and manipulating it in a way that the mass of the object and the mass of your body are uh, completely fused. You're intimately connected to its, its movements. And because, and only because, you are completely connected to this object and what it is, do you have control? Can you really use it and manipulate it and guide it and steer it and lift it and catch it seamlessly? This morning, Kisei shared, um, I think it was a Master Joshu's quote. Someone um, approached the Chinese Zen master and, and asked, what's the difference between you and me? And the response was, the 24 hours use you, I use them. And this is the, this is the, um, the oneness of acceptance and agency that when we really are uh, rooted in a deep enough of a place to see things completely clearly exactly as they are, um, then acceptancy and, and agency can, can function together because we know what we're working with. We know what we're dealing with. There's no um, facade around that. I remember um, a, a time in high school when I was having a hard time and my mother introduced me to the serenity, serenity prayer for the first time, I had come home from school and, and um, it was posted above my bed in my bedroom. I'd never seen it before and it struck me as quite beautiful. Uh, Lord grant me the uh, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And this again points at that um, oneness of acceptance and, and agency. And perhaps you've come across the comical version of this, sometimes posted in coffee shops. Um, grant me uh, wine to accept the things I cannot change, coffee to accept the, coffee to change the things I can, and an opaque travel mug so no one can know the difference. <laughs> it's interesting to look at, 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 at why things are actually funny. So this is, this is taking the serenity prayer, you know, changing words around, and actually the whole message of that satirical version is completely about um, how can I change things? Acceptance is, is uh, completely written out of that. 
one question is, is accepting things actually something that I can do? Um, at Closing Circle, uh, Jess brought up the point of just because I let go of something doesn't mean it goes. It, it, it has the ability to now, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm not holding on to it, but that does not mean that that's its path. And practicing acceptance um, is the koan of, of, is the question of acceptance and agency. How, how to turn, how to turn from, you know, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, doing acceptance in itself is, is rejection, right? You know, how can I accept this? 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 But we know what the experience of acceptance is when we can feel things and we can be present with things and things can move through us. And that's a discrete that's a discrete experience, which is different from rejection. Whether we can go straight from rejection to remembering that we have the ability to accept and then just do it, I don't know. Maybe it's more like stretching. You know, you can't just, you can't just pull your legs into a position that they just don't go. But, but you can, you can work your muscles, and you can, you can knead, and you can tenderize them, and so true with the heart. And curiosity might be a prerequisite for doing that. From the place of non-acceptance, with which we're all so familiar, curiosity about that non-acceptance may very well be a gateway to acceptance. And it might be that some endurance is part of the process because non-acceptance is uncomfortable. And to be curious about that, we have to en endure that some. And to bring up the question that I asked at the very beginning, um, can that basic curiosity arise if we really don't feel safe. If there's not a basic safety present um, in relationship to what we're experiencing or what we're rejecting, can we actually be genuinely curious about it? And because of that, Basic safety sounds like a pretty good prayer for all beings if you're going to put one out there. But again, it's not um, basic safety that requires certain outcomes. 
It's basic safety that that um, allows ourselves to not be worried about what the outcome's going to be. That allows us to feel the intimacy of fear in the present moment, letting go of conjecture. I I think this quote came by us recently from Maizumi Roshi, Chosen Roshi's root teacher, that the gift of Dharma is the gift of no fear. And I think that's the the no fear that's being addressed. The intimacy of 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 courage and, and presence and a fearful and vulnerable tender heart is a beautiful thing. And to really be present with that and the fear of imagination and of the future needs to go. I think that's all I got there. It's perfect timing. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll close with the four Bodhisattva vows. <laughs> 